much you gave your son written there in crimson you told me i'm forgiven it is done it is done so if you never speak another word of blessing and the silence leaves me with a sense of loss i'll remember when my heart begins to question any doubt that you loved me was settled at the cross I would be the first to admit I don't deserve the kind of favor you have always shown but you take your Bibles this morning and join me in turning to the New Testament Gospel of John. John chapter 10 is where we'll be in our study this morning. John chapter 10. I think most of you know that I have two children. They're daughters. And imagine if you would, if I were to sit my daughters down and say, well, girls, welcome to the family. I'm glad you're here. Uh, But a few things you need to know. If you mess up, you're out of the family. You're out of here. And if you irritate me or your mom or you break the rules or you bring any shame to our family name, you're out of here. And I just, I think it's important that you know where we stand. Uh, you're just this close at any given moment to being totally 
out of the family. I think we'd all understand that if a child was raised in an environment like that, that they inevitably would have some real major issues in life. Maybe a little emotional baggage to carry through life. That's not at all how parents are to treat their children. And, and most parents do everything they can to give great confidence and security and acceptance and assurance to their children because parents know that the best environment for growing a relationship is an environment where there is love and acceptance. And uh, we understand that. We believe that when it comes to relationships. In fact, even, even here at Coastline, we want this to be a place where there's great acceptance for others. We want that to be how it is here. And we know that acceptance and agreement are sometimes different. And we all might have areas in which we would have a little different opinion. And our, our agreements may, may not always be there. But we can be accepting. We can be accepting. I think we can understand this at a human level. But I want to invest our study today in considering this from more of a spiritual level. The, the basis of a healthy, growing relationship with God is that we are to understand our acceptance by God. We have to understand if we're in the family, and if we're in the family, we have to understand what that means precisely, exactly. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 and verse 6 said this, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Paul told this church, you need to understand that it's because of that which God has done that we can know what it is as believers to be accepted, accepted in Jesus Christ. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're accepted by God. Now when you place your faith in Christ, you're born into God's family. And as your heavenly father, God has the prerogative to teach us, sometimes to correct us if, if we begin to wander off. And, and yet we can be assured that our place in the family is eternally secure. Now our study over these last weeks has been about buckle up. And, and we've, we found a word picture in the word of God that likens the position of a believer to being seated. We are seated in Christ. We have a position in Christ. And so we've talked about buckle up. Don't let various things in life pull you away from the joy that we have in Christ or living up to the privileges that we have in Christ. And, and I've said in each message in the course of our study, I'm not talking about losing salvation because once you're saved, you're always and forever saved. And that statement I just made, once you're saved, you're always and forever saved, is a statement that identifies a doctrine or a teaching in the Word of God. And the doctrine that I want us to speak about today and think about today is the eternal security of the believer. The eternal security of the believer. Paul in Ephesians 2.6 said this, that God hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're talking about a position in Christ that helps us to understand the eternal security of the believer. Now, maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I've... I've heard of that doctrine. Maybe you'd even say, I know that doctrine. I believe that doctrine. And I would say, great. But maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, Pastor, frankly, there have been times in my spiritual life where I've kind of wondered where do I stand with God. And, and maybe you say, you know, at times I've been close and other times not as close. And, and I've just been kind of concerned where do I stand in the family, so to speak. And I think you can be helped today. It's wonderful to know that just in the New Testament, over 150 times, the Bible says that salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. Now, 
we, we, can, we can say someone's narrow-minded for believing what I'm about to say. That's fine, but this is what the Bible teaches. There are not two ways to have a relationship with God. There's one way. And more accurately, there's one person through which we have a relationship with God, and that's God the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, again, people are free to like that or lump it or agree with it or disagree with it, but that is precisely what the Bible says. Over 150 times in the New Testament, salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. Our works don't save us. Our works don't keep us saved. We understand this is the teaching of the Bible. Now, there's a text before us today that I, can, I think can really help us in this regard. And uh, this will be a little bit more of a topical study in that we're dealing with this topic of the eternal security of the believer. But we will spend time in this text, and, and it's a great place to begin. And, and uh, I hope that you'll join in on this journey as we talk about this great doctrine or teaching of the Word of God. Now, if you're able this morning, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And I'll begin reading in verse 27. The Bible says this, and Jesus is speaking. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Now, this is a pretty emphatic statement. Jesus here is speaking of eternal life. And then to add to that, he says, They'll never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now, we could read on before perhaps where we began and after, but, but as, a, as a snapshot to get us started this morning, these verses, I believe, really will serve as the centerpiece for what we'll talk about. And in the center of these verses we read today, I want you to look near the beginning of verse 28. And near the beginning there, there's just two words, and they're the words eternal life. Eternal life. Now, I want us to think on this today. Uh, this doctrine is so vitally important. And whether you're here today and you've been a Christian for many years or you're a new believer or you're here today and you're not yet a believer, I promise you, if we'll open our hearts to what it is Jesus Christ is saying to us through the Word today, we will be helped and encouraged. And so let's just get into this study and uh, we'll be glad that we did, I'm sure, when we pull out the other end of it. Our Father, thank you for your love for us, for the Bible, for the thought that we can know that we have eternal life, unending life through Christ. Bless this study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. In the late 1920s, the decision was made to build a bridge in the Bay Area of the great state of California. In 1933, construction began on what would be called the Golden Gate Bridge, and, and it was an exciting time for all, and construction began, and hopes were high, and and yet the process and the progress seemed to be very difficult and very slow. One of the primary reasons for the slow progress was the fact that the workers were afraid of what would happen to them if they were to fall. And in fact, 23 workers did fall from the Golden Gate Bridge and, and they died in the process of that bridge coming together. And so the decision was made that not only would they build the largest bridge of its kind in all of the world, which at the time it was, they made a decision that they would build the largest net that had ever been built in the history of the world. And they decided to take that net and to put it beneath the workers as they work and to provide a level of safety and security. And, and they found that there were really two main results from their decision to put the net beneath the workers. First of all, they noticed that the workers fell less often. 
when they had that security, they, they did better. Now, there were still a few that fell, but they were caught in the net. And no more workers had to give their lives building the Golden Gate Bridge. The, the net gave them that safety and security that they needed. But also, what was just amazing to them was how much faster the progress started coming on the bridge. When the workers had a security, when they understood they had the safety net, so to speak, they would work more diligently. They could launch out a little bit further, and, and they kept going. And so progress came when they understood that they were safe in their labors. Now, I think there's a great parallel in that analogy to the Christian life. When we know that we are secured in Christ, we can look at life with optimism, we can look at life with confidence, and we can know that progress will come. Our, our focus doesn't need to be on wondering if God will save us or not, or not. We can rest assured that salvation is through Christ and our focus is on Him. Now we're talking about eternal security of the believer. So let's define some terms. Let's really limit the scope. What are we talking about when we say eternal security of the believer? Well, here's the first thing we need to consider. Who's the believer? Who is a believer? Now, the Bible makes it clear that we can know exactly who a believer is and what a believer is. A believer is one who's placed their faith in Christ for salvation. Jesus, in John chapter 3, was having a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus. And to Nicodemus, Jesus said this, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now, many of you thought Billy Graham was the first one to ever see bo say born again, right? You thought that came from him. That goes all the way back to Jesus Christ. And he said it, and this was the first time the world had ever heard that word picture, that analogy. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be. No doubt about it. No ifs, ands, or buts. There is not another way. You must be. It is essential. Born again. You must be born again. And so Jesus lets us understand that, that when we speak of a believer, we're speaking of someone who's been born again spiritually. In that same passage of Scripture, Jesus helps all of us know what it is to be born again. As Jesus continued writing in John chapter 3 and verse 16, this is the text for this really famous verse. The Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in this teaching, Jesus says, listen, if you want to know what everlasting life, eternal life, unending life spiritually is all about, it's all about what God did for the world when He gave His Son. And it's not through our works, through our labor, through our best efforts. It's through belief. It's through faith in that which Jesus has done for us. Now, the natural question that is often brought up, and I want you to think on this with me, is, well, Pastor... I once knew someone who said they were a Christian and then they then they uh, really have no spiritual interest maybe no interest in the things of God or church or we would say their life looks vastly different than what we might think the life of a Christian would look like and and let me say today I'm glad for two things this morning first of all I'm glad that you're not the judge second of all I'm glad I'm not the judge okay that's that's God's job and I'm content to leave that ball in his court all right and so I don't want to judge anybody today, and certainly I couldn't give a pat answer that would apply to every scenario you could think of in your mind this morning. But I do want to say that the Bible really does address those that, that maybe at one time professed to be people of faith, and one time there seemed to be some modicum of spiritual interest, and then they wandered away from it. The Bible really does have some things to say about that. I think of John, and he dealt with this matter in 1 John 2. And in this text, the, the Bible says this, they went out from us, they were not of us. 
They went out from us, they weren't of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not uh, all of us. Manifest, brought to light. It was brought to light. They were not of us. He, he was saying in essence this, hey, they went out from our number, the number of those who claim to be followers of Christ, but in reality, they weren't Christians at all. Maybe they, they acted as though they were or, or had an interest in it, whatever it might be, but essentially the thought was this, they really never were Christians. They never personally had that relationship with God through faith. Now, Jesus Christ really addressed this issue too. And he, he really uh, hit it just so squarely on the head in Matthew 7 when he said it this way in verses 22 and 23. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Listen to what Jesus Christ, God the Son, said. He said, you know, in that last day, that great day, there's going to be a lot of people, many, many people, who are going to come to me and they're going to say, maybe in our vernacular, but Jesus, I went to church. I tried to do good things. I, I prophesied in your name. Or maybe we'd say, I, I invited my neighbor to, to come to All-American Sunday with me. And, and we would maybe uh, uh, articulate some of the good things we've done. And, and Jesus would say that in that day, there's going to be a lot of people who'd say, Lord, I was religious. And Jesus is going to say, yes, yeah, sorry, but I, I never knew you. I didn't know you. And so depart from me. Now, listen, that'd be a pretty harsh statement for anybody to say but jesus christ is god the son and i wouldn't say that but i'll repeat what jesus said that's that's what he said it's pretty clear now of course we know that christians are not perfect is it possible to be a christian and and not do things that christians do yeah absolutely that's possible christians still sin and when we do we have what we sometimes call in our hearts conviction now the world might call it guilt but it's different for a person of faith it's god letting you know hey that's wrong now, after I became a Christian, I still sin, all right? But what happened is I don't enjoy it anymore. There's something inside that says, what are you doing? You know better than this. That's no good. And, and uh, that's, that's kind of what happens when you're a person of faith. You, you want to do what's right and, and live for God. The Bible lets us know that this is actually evidence of our salvation. Listen to what we read in, in the book of Hebrews. The Bible says, for whom the Lord loveth. If you're glad the Lord loves, say Amen. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. One evidence of the love of God is the fact that he chastens and scourges. And I don't like that at all. I mean, that, that would be similar to us talking about a parent who's disciplining their child, all right? And, and uh, uh, we know that in God, when we're born again by faith into his family, he becomes our loving heavenly father. And as a father that loves his children, he says, I love you too much to let you just do whatever you want without correcting you, chastening and scourging, the Bible says. The Lord loves every son. I'm grateful for that testimony. Now, for those who have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, let me share with you some Bible reasons why you can know once you became a believer that you have eternal, unending, everlasting security. You have your notes nearby? Let's consider the first thought today. First of all, we'll discover God promised eternal salvation when we trusted Him. I love in our text that we read in John 10, Jesus said this, And I give unto them eternal life. Eternal. So the rhetorical question, 
the kind of question you don't answer out loud, you just think about, okay? <laughs> is so when when does an eternal life end exactly? When does everlasting stop? When does forever end? And and the reality is we have to understand what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, I'm using a word to define the life you'll find in me that has no ending at all. It's eternal life. And, and the Bible tells us that Jesus gave it to us. He promised us that. If you were to ask me today, how do you know, Steve, that you're going to spend eternity in heaven? And I would say, I know that because, well, he promised. He told me that. L listen to what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4 and verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. If you were to say, Steve, you, you, you're a Christian. Yes, I place my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm trusting him. How do you know, Steve, that you're going to have eternal, everlasting, forever, unending life? I would say, well, he promised. He promised. That's what he gave me. And I'm grateful for a God that can do that. Now, if you meet the minimum requirement of 40 quarters of work, you've just put yourself in a position to receive Social Security benefits upon retirement for life. And uh, we understand what that means is, is, is Americans. But I want you to know, if you're justified by faith in Christ, that you can receive God's gift of eternal life. And there's no forms to fill out, and there's no loopholes, and there's no funding problems. He's taking care of all of that. It's a forever and ever and ever and ever proposition. God promised eternal salvation when we trusted Him. I'm just saying today, you can take God at His word. And I'm thankful for that second element I want us to consider if you'll consider down or continue looking down your notes saving or salvation is God's job not ours that's God's job all right the saving now listen to how Jesus put this he said this they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand my father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand now, Jesus is saying eternal security is taken out of our hands because we're in His hand and we're covered by the hand of the Father. And that's a pretty good place to be. No man can get you out of that place. Not even myself getting my own life out of that place. I am safe and secure in the hands of God. God, when it comes to salvation, is the prime mover. It all starts with Him. You see, if you're a Christian today you would not have known of your need for salvation were it not for the work of God in your heart. So we have really God to thank for salvation. It all starts with Him, okay? He's the convictor in that, in that sense. He, he lets us know of, of our need. He's the convictor. He's the converter in salvation. In other words, He's the one that does the work of, of rebirth spiritually, being born again. The, the theological word is regeneration. He does that, and He's the completer. He, he sees to it that the job is done. God always finishes what He starts. And if you're a Christian, that began the moment perhaps you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but God is going to continue that thing. He finishes what He starts. Listen to this principle that we read about in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. The Bible says, I know that whatsoever God does, or what He doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it, that men should fear before him i love this principle i know that whatsoever god doeth it shall be forever 
And I'm grateful for a God that can save forever and ever. There is power in that verse. I, I think of the comfort in Philippians 1 and verse 6. And I want us to think of this along the same lines. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He which hath begun will perform it. And if you're a believer today, God saved you once and forever and He's continuing a work in your life. And I'm grateful for that. He'll perform it. He'll complete your, your life. A Christian is not to stress out about maintaining a position that is only truly to be found in Jesus Christ. And yet I've met believers and, and without an understanding of this doctrine, they kind of wonder, where do I stand with God? And, and can I do something to lose my salvation forever? And how much of that do you have to do? And all of the questions that come. Listen, God is the type of a heavenly father. He wants his children to know where they stand. He doesn't want us to stress over our position in him. He wants us to rest in our position with him. We're to buckle up. We're to enjoy the ride, so to speak. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what it is that Jesus said here. And, and uh, I, I think we can be encouraged by this thought. Jesus said this, And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish now if you're grateful for a savior who can give eternal life that will allow us never to perish say amen this is this is from the mouth of god the son as i began to read this verse jesus said never perish uh, i i don't know a, a lot of greek i had to take greek in bible college and once upon a time i probably knew a lot more than i know now okay Thank God for computer programs. You don't have to remember everything in the world. But, but you know, I got to reading this verse, and I got to looking it up in some Bible dictionaries, and I got to looking at, at some of the Greek, Greek words here. And, and uh, now, you guys don't owe me anything, right? I'm going to ask a favor of you. How many of you will say, Pastor, for the next five minutes, I promise to pay attention, even if it seems really boring at first? All right, can we take a vote? A vote. Come on, Leo, help me out, man. All right, I think most of you are like, okay, I, I'm with you there. Very good. Uh, because I got to looking at this, and... And in the Greek, the word never there is once. In Greek, it's actually four times. And I'm not saying that's wrong at all. Not at all. It, it's, it's right. But, but in the Greek, it's just so much more emphatic. The, the expression, they shall never perish, comes from a series of Greek words. Ume, it means not at all, by no means. Ice means time, place, purpose. Ho means male or female. And ion uh, is perpetually or eternally now if we took these words and just defined them and went back to the original statement of christ and just plugged in these definitions listen to how those words i read a moment ago would read based on these definitions and i give unto them eternal life and they shall not at all by any means in any case in any place at any time for any purpose whether they be male or female perpetually or eternally perish how many of you think jesus christ was trying to build an airtight case for the reality that if you're born again by faith into his family you're not getting out i'm grateful for that he couldn't have said it any more emphatically any more clearly he covered all the bases doesn't matter who you are where you're from male or female matters not if you're a believer we can rejoice in our salvation saving is god's job not ours and we can trust him and i'm so thankful for that today look if it could be messed up guys i'd mess it up i gotta tell you i mean if there's a way to ruin something i'll find it but jesus said as emphatically as he could possibly be said i got this salvation's my job he says not yours but i think we can also be encouraged today by this reality the bill for salvation the bill has already been paid 
it's been paid. Now, if you were to ask me, Steve, are you perfect? I'd be like, yeah, no. No. Nope. I mean, sin's kind of a problem. I, I tend to do things wrong, have bad thoughts, bad attitudes, you know. Uh, again, you just can't make it through a day without doing something wrong, you know. And I think all of us would pretty much say the same thing, you know. And those that wouldn't say such a thing, uh, their problem's a little more benign. We call it pride, okay, all right, or delusion, whatever, I'm not sure. But the fact is, we all do things that are wrong, I understand that. But you know what's interesting to me is I read the Bible, I find that when God the Father looks at a Christian, me in this case, you in your case, when he looks at a Christian, he sees us as perfect. And we think, well, how in the world does that work? How can God justly view me as perfect? Well, you see, it's because I've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ as a Christian. And if you're a believer today, you've been bought by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God sees my life as a finished product because of the payment of, of Jesus Christ, right? And, and so I can be seated and buckle up because the position I have is in Christ. The Bible says you're as good as already seated in the heavenlies. Enjoy your position. The, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10 and verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Let me tell you just a little about that one offering. That was the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It was such an extraordinary offering. One was sufficient to cover the sins of everybody. Jesus Christ paid the price. The bill has been paid. Now just imagine with me, if you would, that you come to the conclusion that you need a new car. And so you go out and you start shopping. You find the model you want, the color you want. You get, get it all figured out. And you're very excited about that. And so you go to sit down with the salespeople and, and you've negotiated the terms and all that. And a lot of times they'll ask you, uh, uh, are you going to just pay for this? Or are you going to put a down payment? And you're thinking, no, I'm going to put a down payment. Very good. And so you put a down payment down on the car and you figure out what the payments are going to be and how many payments there's going to be. And, and uh, you pull out of the dealership and you're so happy your car is just never going to smell any better. It's never going to look any better. It's never going to work any better. And you pull out of the parking lot and, and uh, you're a happy camper. And uh, you, you drive home and you pull in the driveway and your neighbor walks out and your neighbor goes, got a new car. And you go, yeah, I got a new car. But the truth is it's not your car. You say, no, it's mine. It's mine. And I would say, no, it's not. It's Ford Motor Credit's car, okay? It'll be yours in 72 payments or 84 of these days, right? They'll stretch those hummers out as long as they can. You say, well, it's mine. And I would say, no, it's not. You haven't paid for it. You put a down payment on it. And you're going to be working on it, working on it, working on it, so that someday you can come into possession of this. But it's not really yours. You haven't paid for it. When Jesus paid for salvation, friends, Please hear this. He didn't make down a down payment. He paid the whole price. He paid the bill. We belong to Him, and one day He'll come to pick us up from this world, and we'll spend the rest of eternity in heaven with Him, all of eternity. The Apostle Paul made an interesting statement when he wrote to the believers in Ephesus. And I want you to think of, of this group he's writing. He's writing the book of Ephesians to people living in the city of Ephesus, and he says this, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Would you look up this way for a moment? He said you were sealed. Now we hear that word and we think sealed. I don't know, maybe a Ziploc bag. I don't know what we think of. But the Apostle Paul used that word for these people. The letter was to these people, and so that word was used. 
And that was a word that everybody who lived there would have immediately thought, oh, sealed, he just said sealed. That would have meant something to them. That was a term that these people would have got really excited about. You see, the people living in Ephesus lived in an area, a part of the world, where they were known for the great harbor that they had. Not only that, they were known for the great lumber they had, and so on the nearby mountains, lumber would be, uh, would be cut, and, and they would bring it down to the harbor, and purchasers from around the world would go to the harbor, and they would literally tour these logs floating there. And they'd say, I want that one, and I want that one, and I want that one, and they'd pick the ones they wanted. Now, the purchasers couldn't take the logs with them. They're too big. Sometimes they'd be carted out. Other times they would be bound together like a barge and they'd be floated away. But the purchaser would come and he'd say, I want that one and that one, and he'd, he'd pay for them. Well, how would he know which ones were his? They'd have a seal. They'd have a mark that they'd put on the lumber. And so he'd say, I want that one, and pay for it. Paid. And it would be marked. It'd be sealed. And it would be known. That's a bought piece of lumber right there. He's going to come back and get it. And so when Paul was writing these words to the believers in Ephesus, he said, let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ saved you and when you accepted his free gift of eternal life, you've been marked, you've been sealed, you've been set apart by the work of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. He's within you. And this same one that paid for the price for your eternal salvation, this same one that sealed you and marked you, he's coming back again to redeem or to take you so that you will forever be with him and friends we need to just be encouraged in our heart today that we have in jesus christ a savior who can save us forever and one day he's coming and he will take us out of this place to live with him we're in the harbor so to speak but he's coming back the final thought today that we need to consider is this we have a new position in jesus christ a new position we've touched on this but salvation is really a binding contract where Jesus signs on both places on the bottom. He does all the work. He's the guarantor and the provider. He's done it all. In fact, the Bible tells us that when we accept Jesus as our Savior, uh, we're not turning over a new leaf or just trying to do better. The Bible tells us we're a new creature or a new creation. When we become Christians, we're, we're literally made new. We are a part of Christ through His work on the cross. The Bible tells us that the Old Testament was given for our learning. And there are many great pictures in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ and, and of salvation. And one of the greatest pictures in the Old Testament to speak of salvation is that wonderful biblical accounting of, of Noah and the ark. And Noah, we know, was directed by God to build an ark and a flood was coming and the Bible tells us the world at that point just knew dew. They hadn't really known rain and this incredible flood comes and Noah goes on the ark and, and Noah and his family walk onto the ark and, and some of you remember what happened next. You say, well, they shut the door and I would say, nope, that's not what it says. It says, and God shut the door. You see that big, gigantic boat, that ark was a type, a picture of salvation. A work that God does. And so they got on the boat, and then God closed the door, and then the storm came, and the floodwaters came, and then the boat was lifted, and then it was floating, and, and so now they're in this ark. And, and I want you to imagine Noah walking around in the ark. How many of you think it, in the course of time that they were on the ark, Noah probably had an occasion where he stubbed his toe or fell going down the stairs or maybe tripped at least one time along the ark? I think all of us would say, yeah, probably. So he stumbled. He fell. He didn't fall out of the ark. He was in the ark. 
God had saved him. And there are going to be times in our lives when maybe we'll stub our toes, so to speak, or we'll stumble. But please know this, my friends, that if you have entered into a relationship with God, an eternal relationship, He closed the door. You're forever, eternally, always saved. Now the cynic in us could think, now wait a minute. Saved? Forever? Yeah. So then if I'm saved and I can do whatever I want, what's my motivation? People have asked me things like, Pastor, are you telling me I can be a Christian? I don't have to go to church? You don't got to to be a Christian. I don't even have to give an offering. Keep it all. Don't give ever again. You know? I had somebody ask me one time, so I can shoot somebody and be a Christian? I'm like, well, who do you got in mind? You know, maybe we should talk first. Is it me? You know, I'll change my theology real quick. Some people have a hard time with eternal security and say, well, wait a minute, let me get this straight. I can do whatever I want. Why would God ever put me in a position where I can do whatever I want? Doesn't he know that, that if I can do whatever I want, that I, I might do something bad and God doesn't approve of bad things? And, and, you know, really, that's not the portrait that's painted at all in Scripture. Here's the thought. If you had a father that was that awesome, wouldn't you want to be the kind of child that just spent time with them and enjoyed them and did what they said? You see, God didn't set an arrangement up where He says, come to me for salvation, then if you step out of line, man, I'm going to thump your melon, I'll be all over you. It's, it's going to be bad if you do one bad thing. That's not the kind of father He is. Now, He corrects us. We've already talked about that. But once you're in the family, you're always in the family. And the motivation to live a life that's pleasing to God is not fear for some angry God that wants to get us. It's joy for a heavenly Father that's so wonderful that he said, welcome to the family, just to be, just to be totally, totally uh, transparent on this issue, you're in forever, forever saved. He's a great God. He's a wonderful God. You see, I know he's a loving God, and, and the Bible makes it clear in 1 John 4 and verse 18 that there's no fear in love, and that perfect love casts out fear. Perfect meaning mature. So as our Heavenly Father, He knows that we all share a fear. I share a fear, you share a fear. In relationships that we have in life, a fear is rejection and abandonment. We all have that fear in relationships in our life. And God, knowing our hearts, knows that that's an issue that would be in our hearts towards Him. And He says, look, let me cast that fear out of your life. If you're truly saved, you're saved forever. He's a great God, a great Savior. There's nothing in life that is so big that can pull you out of our seat or our position in Christ we can buckle up we talked about questions listen it's alright to have questions but don't let them put more distance between you and God let them be used to God to allow you to be drawn close we saw that in the life of Thomas we we talked about guilt listen friends we've been forgiven in Christ guilt doesn't have to get us out of that seat in terms of enjoying our position in Christ don't let a grudge rob you of your joy in life let God be the judge let him do his job and and uh, we won't worry about that freely forgive as you've been forgiven don't let thoughts that you're not equipped for life or equipped to do what you think needs to be done in your life bother you we learned from Gideon that everything he thought he didn't have in life was already present with him everything he needed and friends I want you to know that we are eternally secure in Jesus Christ 
I've been careful as we've gone through this study to share with you that I did not know if these would be good sermons, but I hoped it would be good pastoring. We're just now several weeks away from celebrating our 15th anniversary as a church family, and I'm very thankful for that. That's about five times longer than the average pastor spends at any one church, and, and I've been here with you since the beginning. I'm so very thankful for that. And, and I shared with you that what this series was going to be more than any series I've ever done was kind of a 15-year running journal of some of the recurring issues that are brought up in our church and many times brought, brought to my office. And I've tried to address these various issues almost like we're just having a conversation about the topic and, and, and share my heart on it. And so this has been a pastor doing his best to speak to the family of faith here, believers. And for that reason, I've been very careful throughout this series to say this is directed to believers. But if you're not a believer, I'm so glad you're here. And I hope as we talk about how great our God is, you'll come to see Him that way too. And that you will know what it is to have a relationship with Him. And so as we finish this series, we've been in for six or seven weeks now. I want to say this. If you're a Christian, I hope the result of this study has helped the esteem of Jesus in your life to increase. That you think more of Him now than you did when we started. And if you're here today and you're not sure that you have eternal everlasting life if you're not certain of that i want you to know our god is as good as i've tried to tell you about today and much better my words fail me i'm limited in the way i can communicate and express things but god is wonderful and he loves everybody and he can he can take care of the problem we all share of sin he's paid for it and you can know what it is to have eternal life in him would y'all be so kind as to join me in standing this morning and